Well, how many of you still like riding roller coasters? Let me see your hands. Oh, they're all over in this section. I don't know what the deal is over here. And uh, how many of you used to like them and now it's just kind of like been there, done that, and I just, yeah. How many of you have just hated them ever since you were little and you still hate them? And you're going to meet Jesus hating them, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, this week is um, obviously roller coaster theme in our um, VBS. And what we're going to be studying about this week is facing fear and trusting God. Our children are going to walk through the life of the Apostle Paul. And I thought, well, if they're going to come home and be talking about the Apostle Paul, maybe we need to brush up on who the Apostle Paul is. Because certainly, the Apostle Paul was certainly kind of a guy who had a lot of, a lot of high thrills and and then he had some valleys as well. But he also always remained faithful to the Lord no matter what ride he was on, no matter how steep the climb or how rapid the drop, he always remained faithful to God. So today I want you to take your Bibles and I want to introduce you to this gentleman named Paul. In the Bible, you'll first know him as Saul. And he was, a, he was an educated man. He was a man of pedigree. He came from the tribe of Benjamin, which means that he was somebody. He probably was either on the Sanhedrin or he was in the, in the fast track to be on the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling authority of the Jewish people granted that status by the Roman emperor. So we have this guy named Saul. Saul had a job. Here was his job. To squelch anything that would derail the growth and the spread of Judaism. So when this upstart faith, Christianity, with this message of Jesus Christ, his love, his grace, his mercy and forgiveness, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ... His number one job, his number one priority became persecute the Christians. In fact, it was so kind of his job. It was so kind of what he was supposed to be. He had a blank check. He had authority to go to any place at any time. And if he thought you were a believer to pull you out, take you away from your home, throw you either in prison, without trial. He, he could do anything just about he wanted to. For Stephen, he's had him stoned. For others, they were killed. Many more were thrown into prison. Families separated, never be, to be reunited again under this man's... And it wasn't that Paul was a hateful man. He was a zealous man. He believed that he was right in what he was doing. He believed his cause was just. He wasn't hateful. He was just zealous. In fact, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. And, and I just kind of want you to follow along. The text or the screens will just kind of tell you the text and the basis of our story. And so whether it's your iPad or mini or your phone or whatever, your old-fashioned Bible that has real paper... Turn to Acts chapter 9. And I want to talk about the first dare that Paul would do. Now, when we were 
my kids were younger and we'd go to the amusement park. They would go, oh, I dare you. Let's go on this one. I dare you to go on that one. And, and you know the little sticks that we would have to stand by to see if we were tall enough to stand, you know, to go on the thing. And, you know, my kids would all go by and they would stand on their tippy toes. And then it was my turn. I had to stand on my tippy toes too, you know. It was kind of one of those deals. And we would all go, I dare you. I dare you. I double dog dare you. Now, in the Trimble family, if you got a double dog there, I mean, it was just like the ultimate slap in the face if you didn't do it. And so we see Paul here confronted with a holy God. Look at verses 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. That's north of Jerusalem. So that if he found any who belonged to the way, the way is what they referred to, how, what they referred to the Christian belief or to Christians. They, were to, they referred to them as being in the way because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And so Christians were referred to as people in the way. Now, I, I do know a lot of Christians who are in the way, but these were those who were, were on the way. Whether men or women... That he might take them prisoners to Jerusalem. Now I want you to understand this was Paul's mission. Paul was familiar with this. Paul liked having the power. He liked having the authority. But on this road to Damascus, heading north out of Jerusalem, somewhere accompanied with Roman guards as a seal of his authority, or guards as a seal of his authority... All of a sudden, he has this encounter with a higher authority. I'm telling you, there were few in Judaism who had more power, except maybe the high priest, at this point in time, more political clout than the apostle Paul, or Saul as he still is called. And now he comes face to face with a higher power. Look at verse 3. Then he neared Damascus in his journey. Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell down to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, I'm telling you, if you were walking in from the parking lot today and you heard this voice from this blinding light say, why, why are you going to go play church again today? It would rock your world, wouldn't it? It did Paul's. Matter of fact, he says, who are you, Lord? Now, don't don't misinterpret his word, Lord. It's not Jehovah, Lord. It's not Elohim, Lord. It's basically saying, sir, who are you? I don't know your voice. I have no recognition of you. And then... Jesus says, I'm Jesus of whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go to the city, and then you will be told what you must do. Isn't that incredible? I mean, all of a sudden, you're walking along, life is good, you're familiar with everything, and then boom, one blinding light, boom, two sentences from a man with greater authority than all of us put together, and his life is forever changed. 
It's a great story because it changed his thinking and he determined to follow Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, he, he didn't quite put it all together. And uh, matter of fact, the rest of the story is really kind of fun. Just I'll just read it to you and then make some final comments about this part of the story. And the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. Now, I'm telling you, I would too. They heard the sound but didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground. And when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him out by the hand to Damascus. This man who had all authority now had to be led like a little child. And for three days he was blind and didn't eat or drink anything. And then it was a believer. It was a disciple. It was a follower of Christ that reached out to Saul and embraced him and welcomed him to the faith of Jesus Christ. You see, he dared to change. Matter of fact, in, in verses 10 through 18, Ananias comes and restores Saul's sight. And they had this conversation, helps him to understand that what had happened to him was nothing short than a miraculous, life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ himself. Now, what was interesting about this is that Jesus had already ascended to heaven. Jesus had already was seated at the right hand of the Father, and yet from heaven he speaks. By the way, can we just be honest? Today, God still wants to speak from his throne, his place in heaven. He does that through the Holy Spirit of God. And I believe he speaks to our hearts. I believe he speaks to us and he impresses our heart. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through the love and the fellowship of other believers. But the point is, is that God still speaks. And that when he speaks, then we have to change our life. We have to accommodate our life to what he is saying to us. So he dared to change. He dared to change his way of thinking. He dared to change his way of living. He dared to change his way of believing. He embraced Jesus Christ. But then you kind of keep reading in that chapter and you find the second thing that you find is that Paul dares to speak up. Now he's speaking up on behalf of Jesus Christ and people in the way who you had just been persecuting go to verse 20 in chapter 9 acts chapter 9 and verse 20 saul spent several days with the disciples in damascus and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that jesus is the son of god i want to just stop there we around here we talk a lot about three things about connecting with god about growing and about serving about connecting growing and serving I want you to understand, it said, and at once Paul, or Saul, began to serve. At once he got in the game. At once he got off the fence. At once he didn't wait till somebody, you know, gave him a little seminar, or a little book, or, or until there was this, you know, lack of somebody to do the ministry in the church. At once he understood that Christianity, that those of us who know Christ is our Savior, that growth is normal and expected for the believer, and that every member is a minister, and that we've got to be serving somewhere in the kingdom of God. He got all of that, and so at once he began to serve. His talent, his ability was preaching. 
Actually, it was more of a, a better stated it. He was, a, he was a better thinker probably than he was a speaker. Peter spoke a sermon of about 250 words and 3,000 people got saved. Paul preaches for a chapter and a half and can't convince anybody to follow Christ. But oh, when he starts to write theology, when he starts to help us understand how Christ is connected and how he is that great I am that you just sang about, he wrote in Colossians chapter 1 and in Ephesians chapter 1 and in Philippians chapter 2 and you could just go over and over. So Saul began to immediately use what he had for the kingdom of God. Listen, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you do not have the right nor the freedom, nor is it your option to sit back and do nothing. As a believer in Jesus Christ, he has given you a spiritual gift, at least one, probably multiple, and he has given you different talents and abilities, strengths, so that you can use them in the kingdom of God to make a difference in this world. And he expects us to use them. Not to sit back and go, yeah, 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 okay, okay, yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it. No, to use them in the kingdom of God. So he began to serve immediately. He connected with God and he began to grow through Ananias and, and the ministry of Barnabas, as we'll see a little bit later. And he began to immediately serve. Matter of fact, his serving caused so much commotion that people wanted to kill him. Paul had this wonderful ability to make people want to kill him. I don't know if it's a spiritual gift. I, I'm not sure. But he, he would just speak about Jesus Christ. Look at verse 22. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. And after many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned their plan day and night. They kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his father's but his followers took him by night and lowered him a basket overside the wall and an opening in the wall. And then he left Damascus and he went to Jerusalem. So his trip in time in Jerusalem starts in verse 26, but drop down to verse 28. So Saul stayed with them, the folks in Jerusalem, and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly again. He's preaching the name of the Lord. He taught and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. So in Damascus, they tried to kill him. And in, in Jerusalem, they tried to kill him. And there were probably a lot of people who were saying, well, I don't know if this guy's really a believer or not, but he killed my mom and he killed my daddy, he killed my uncle. He put my family, my cousins, my niece and my nephew in jail. I don't trust this guy. Now he's preaching to me. Now he's telling me about Jesus Christ and life change and transformation and how my life can be different and fuller and more complete. It's amazing how the devil can take God's word and kind of stir up something in our hearts that should never be. The devil took God's word in Genesis chapter 3, kind of 
created doubt, post-postulated questions and, and interacted and had this dialogue to where caused Eve and Adam to doubt. I don't know if that was going on with Saul. I, I don't know what was going on. All I know is that he was preaching truth and people were going, I can't take it anymore. And so he spoke up. He had the courage to speak up. By the way, drop down to verse 31. They sent him now out of Caesarea. Verse 30, they sent him out of Caesarea and off to Tarshish. And the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Man, the church grew. Paul had dropped the persecution mode, then he picked up the preaching mode, he was serving in the kingdom, and man, the church just began to grow and grow, and he dared to speak up at the right place and at the right time. By the way, that's still a challenge for you and I today. The challenge is for you and I to speak up at the right place in the right time, and in the right moment, with the right attitude. By the way, most of the time, we kind of know when those right moments are. The issue isn't for us to understand when that right moment is. For most of us, the issue is courage to speak up when those right moments come. I think most of us kind of feel that, that tug pretty strong in our heart with the Holy Spirit of God to speak up. But we need the courage to do so. So Paul dared to speak up. And then Paul also dared to believe. Go to Genesis. Uh, go to Genesis. Go to the book of Acts chapter 16. This is one of the coolest stories in the, in the entire book of Acts. Because it, it just really kind of tells you how far, how far Paul now and his name is changed. They're no longer calling him Saul. They're calling him Paul. And why did they do that? Why did they change his name from Saul to Paul? Some people say, well, it was his Christian name and it was this or that. When I was in Bible college, I was a, I, I was a big brother. It was part of my practical work assignment. So I had this one little boy. And, his, and, and everybody called him Rascal because he got in so much trouble. Well, I just thought, I'm not going to call him Rascal. I don't want to remind him of the trouble that, you know, he always got in. I just called him by his regular name and it took him a while to respond to his regular name because everybody had just called him rascal because believe you me he was a rascal well Paul was or Saul was a rascal but Paul was his life after Christ and maybe they just changed his name and gave him that Christian name because they did not want to remind him of what he was but wanted him to know what he is in Christ Jesus I'm not really sure but you come to Acts chapter 16, and he's now from here forward called Paul. And, and pick up the story in verse 16. Once when they were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl. By the way, we is because Dr. Luke, who is the author of the book, is with him. So we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit which she predicted future. And, and so I'm just going to kind of fast forward through the next six verses. So here's this girl. She had a demonic spirit in her. She could, for, you know, she could predict the future. Here was this guy who was making a lot of money off of this girl's ability to, make, to predict the future. 
So here is now Paul and Silas, and they come into the city. And this girl just starts following them around. And she is just going and and just saying things, and she's just going, you know. The girl, verse 17, the girl followed Paul and Silas and the rest of us, shouting, shouting. It's not that she's talking, she's shouting. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to say. She kept this up for many, many days. Now, even though she is saying nothing wrong, if you are shouting that in somebody's ear for many, many days, that's going to get a little annoying, amen? Finally, Paul just turned and commanded that evil spirit to come out of her and said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Then, that's a good thing. Then in verse 19, the owner was ticked off with Paul and Silas because he lost his ability to make money through the little girl who was now spiritually healthy, physically healthy, and whole. And so he got all riled up, bent out of shape, because he lost his ability to make money. He didn't care anything for the child. He just cared about the money. Paul and Silas didn't care anything about the money. They cared about the child. And so look at what this guy does. When the owner of the slave girl realized that the hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them to the marketplace. That was where all the authorities and the people, and it was kind of the congregating place, were gathered. And they brought him before the magistrates and said, these, are the, or these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us to accept and practice. Then the crowd joined in. And the crowd started getting carried away. And they stripped them and they beat them. And after they severely flogged them, they were thrown in jail. And the commander, who was a Philippian, a jailer who was a Philippian, was commanded to watch them. Now this had been a day. I mean, you want to talk about a day. This was a day, not particularly a good day. You start off by doing a good thing, and by the end of the day, you're in jail. You've been beaten and flogged, and that's not pretty to even describe what all that involves. But they were beaten severely, and then it's about midnight. And the Bible says that they were praying and singing. I know a lot of us like to listen to praise and worship music, and we like to sing. I would just encourage you to put the praying and singing, marry the two. Worship cannot exist separate from prayer. It's all part of that same movement of the heart, Godward, to where it calls us to be thankful and to praise him. And so Paul and Silas, after being beaten, unfairly accused, in trouble for doing the right thing, helping this little girl, beaten, flogged. Now they're in chains and and their feet are in shackles and their hands are in chains and 
and it's at midnight. And they're in kind of like a maximum security prison. And they're not licking their wounds, and they're not complaining, and they're not whining. They're praying, and then they start singing. I don't know if the music echoed. It must have down the hallways and into the, into the jail cells of the other felons and criminals and ne'er-the-wells that were in prison that day. But as they sang and lifted their voices up, the glory of God came down, settled over and on that place to such a degree that a violent earthquake shook hold of that place and just, boom, the doors popped open. The shackles came off of their feet. The shackles came off of their hands. And the Philippian jailer, who by this time knew what would happen if you let a prisoner escape and you're in charge, you not only lose your job, most of the time you lose your life. And now all of the doors are open, all of the shackles are, are, are the bonds are broken, and he pulls his sword out to take his own life because he understands the culture of the day. Not one will escape, but now it looks like all will escape. He's going to take his own life. And then it was Paul who said, Friend, do thyself no harm. We're all still here. Now, I can understand Paul and Silas not running. But I wonder why the murderer two doors down didn't run. I wonder why the fraudulent individual maybe four cells down didn't run. I understand Paul and Silas singing, praying, giving praise and glory to God. But what about others in that cell block? The Bible doesn't speak to it, but could it be that the power and the glory and the presence of God was so on that place that no one wanted to leave that place? And then... With the glory of God so on that place, the eyes of the Philippian jailer were open. He realized that he had abused Paul and Silas, and he did the unthinkable. He did something that was so counterculture. He took these men into his own home. And he took care of their wounds. And what do you suppose Paul started doing in their home? He started speaking about Jesus. And the Philippian and his wife and his children, through the time that Paul was there, and we don't know how long, they all came to know Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. Many people believe that it was this Philippian jailer who went back to his home in Philippi and started the church there. We don't know. But what we do know is that if you dare to believe, God will radically change your life.
life. He's not an addition to your life. He's not an addendum to your life. He's not an appendix to your life. He comes to change your life completely. Wow, what a roller coaster ride. We first met Paul and he was persecuting believers. Now we leave him in Acts chapter 16 and he's being persecuted. In Acts chapter 9, he spoke against Christians and against faith. Now in Acts 16, he is speaking for Jesus and he is speaking on behalf of faith. I'm telling you, what a difference Jesus Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes for just a moment? Maybe you